Good morning. Great to see you all. And um, I just want to I just want to say how absolutely pleased and proud I am of the effort for Hampers of Hope. Uh, we did an all-time high at 220 hampers. Um, that, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, n- not only did we do an all-time high, because that's, that's like 15 to 20, that's almost 10% more than last year. But we had, uh, we had a great turnout from you folks. Thank you so much. And I know, I know Nancy was just, it, it has not gone so smooth in all the years we've done it as, as this, and yet we did more than what we've ever done. And so I want to thank you. Um, if you've helped in, in, you know, the hamper over the last few weeks in anything, just raise your hand, will you? Put, just put it up. Come on, nice and high. Look at, look at all the people who were involved in it. Oh, thank you so much. And, um, you know, we don't just do this to feed people. We do that. And, and for those of you who don't know what we do, uh, the Hampers of Hope, we provide food uh, for about a week, week and a half, full turkey dinner, vegetables, the whole nine yards, gifts, gift cards for members of the family. Um, and, uh, and we have some regulars. And we had a, we had a reception for them yesterday morning. And again, I want to thank those of our own people who so supported that, came and, and loved on, on our people who come out and who rely on us. And you, you could just sense the warmth of it. Um, so this whole thing has gone on, and uh, Friday it's wrapped up. And, um, and uh, Nancy, Nancy said uh, to me, you know, we're, we're basically all done. For some reason, there were a few gifts that got left. A woman just got out of the, uh, out of the psychiatric ward of the hospital, struggling deeply, um, and came to our door. She said, Is there, I, I have a three-year-old boy, but I don't have anything for him. Would you believe that we had some, some gifts that got set aside and weren't seen, for a three-year-old boy. And so we were able to take that and get her some food. She went out to the car. She came back. And Nancy said, can I pray with you? And, and she said, oh, please. And she wrapped her arms around her. And the woman began to weep profusely, experiencing the love. It's just not getting some food and some gifts for your child. It's about receiving God's love. And, and uh, there was another uh, thing she told me about that happened the same day and, and another person. And when we had our time on Saturday, I was just so impressed uh, just seeing some of those uh, clients who have relied on us. And here, here they come, and, and I just see them being embraced and being prayed for. And folks, that's, what, that's why we do it, to share the love of Christ. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, we did it another year, and uh, praise God for that. Well, uh, if you weren't with us last week, we began a series of uh, four messages called Undercover Boss. And I don't know that you've seen that program, 
Uh, but uh, it, uh, a few years ago, they ran under, Undercover Boss Canada. And Undercover Boss Canada, what happens is uh, the owner of a company or a CEO of a company uh, would uh, step out of the boardroom, step out of the executive office, and disguise themselves as, uh, and take a job in their own company as an entry-level worker. And they'd be followed around, and it was, it was quite fascinating to me to see these guys. And, and uh, uh, one guy is, I mean, he's wearing a toupee, he's had stuff done to his face, he's, he's got something, a little, a little uh, soul patch here stuck on, and he's got uh, a, a, a tattoo on his side. So nobody knows who he is. And, and it gives them a chance to get down on the ground level and see what it's, see their company from the bottom up, if you will. And, and it's kind of interesting appreciating what the staff do and what they go through and what they can improve. And, but they get a real sense of what happens at that level. You know, when, when I saw that, I, I thought to myself, man, that's, that sounds a little bit like Christmas. Here is Jesus Christ. The boss, the ultimate boss, who steps out of heaven. Uh, the, the splendor and the glory of his existence in heaven and his worship in heaven. He leaves corporate headquarters and, and he comes to take upon himself humanity. Being born as a baby, living among humans, Wearing what we wear, eating what we eat, working alongside, going to synagogue, all the things that any other normal person in his town would do. Uh, Taking a job, probably working in his father's trade. Uh, and, And here he is, and nobody even would have guessed that this was God, God the Son. Not only did he do that, but he took on menial tasks. He did things like wash the feet of his disciples. And and that's something that would be relegated to the lowest of the lowest of the low slaves. But Jesus was doing all of this. And nobody really understood who he was at that time. Well, see, Christmas is about God, the Son, coming to earth and becoming a human being. That's what Christmas is all about. The incarnation or the enfleshment of God. God took human flesh upon himself. God the Son came and became a human. We learned last week from Hebrews chapter 1 just how big this boss is. Just how big this boss is who left heaven, who came to earth. Jesus Christ. Uh, He's described as the creator. He's described as the sustainer. He's the ruler of the universe. He's worshipped by angels. It doesn't get bigger than this boss. This boss is the ultimate boss. No one even approaches him. And this is an incredible mystery. How does this happen? How does God Almighty, the Son, come and be born as a baby and need to have his diaper changed and need to be fed and cared for? I mean, it's, it's incredible. He is fully God, and yet he takes humanity on him, as we sang this morning. Well, he needed to develop like other children did. He developed uh, socially and mentally and, 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 and grew into uh, this life. Um, and this truth 
about the incarnation, this truth about God becoming a human, uh, as unfathomable as it is for us, is incredibly important. It's so important that in the early church, some people decided, they thought, well, you know, Jesus really didn't come as a physical being. He was, he was like a, a phantom. He was an apparition. He wasn't a real person. And so the church had to deal with that. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, John says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets go out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from uh, acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And then in 2 John he says this, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an, the antichrist. So you see, this seems to be really important that Jesus not only left heaven and came to earth, but he came as a human being. And any notion that he wasn't a real human being is just nonsense. So here we are. And the question I think that comes to mind is, what's the big deal about this? What's the big deal if Jesus came in a body or not? Is this really important? To have a body? Would it really matter in the whole scheme of things? And I want to say to you a resounding yes, yes, yes. And here's what Jesus did through his coming as a human being, what Christmas was to accomplish. And so I have for you uh, the importance of Jesus becoming a human being. What is important about Jesus becoming a human being? And I just want to share. Um, a few things with you this morning. The first thing is, he restores rule. He restores our rule in the world. When God created us, I, I think we have underestimated uh, who we are, what God created us to be. We were the absolute apex of creation. We were at the very top of God's creation. And uh, he had a purpose, and he had a plan for us. Um, when he created us, he gave us the responsibility for developing and caring for and, and, um, and making the world something. He gave them raw material, and then he said, now go and, and, and take dominion and rule and develop the earth. In fact, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. He granted to us something of a responsibility in this world. We as humans, as the apex of God's created, are endowed with honor and with dignity and with gifts and capacities so that we could do what he called us to do, and he gave us the rulership of the earth. Well, um, that right and that privilege he gave to us, he didn't give that to angels. And that was given to us. And the problem is we blew it. We rebelled against God. 
we, we, we violated what God said, and we came under God's judgment, and that changed everything. And our capacity to rule and our capacity to develop was greatly, greatly hindered. It was, uh, we, we forfeited some of our ability and our authority. Uh, Satan was, was working to undermine and to tempt and, and to cause the people, Adam and Eve, to sin against God. And he continues to tempt people to rebel. And he became what Jesus said was the prince uh, of the world. He became a ruler of the world. So we forfeited some of our responsibility. And, and so the tragic thing is he's running interference all the time. And the world is messed up. It's messed up ecologically. Um, it, it's messed up. We're wrecking it politically. There are wars and, and people are building up, trying to, to build nuclear weapons and, and threatening each other. Uh, there are diseases and sickness and death and abuse and defrauding people and, and, and relational problems. And, and the world and, and, and our whole existence is not what God had wanted it to be. When we sinned, we ruined everything in that regard and so he says in uh in uh hebrews chapter 2 in verse 5 to 9 it's not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which he uh, about which we're speaking but there's a place where someone has testified that place is is uh psalm 8 in fact we looked at that psalm this summer Someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? And the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under their feet, God left nothing that is not subject to, uh, subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we messed it up terribly. The world, but, but in Psalm 8, it says, and here, here's David, probably on a starry night, looking up to the heavens and seeing all the incredible uh, stars in the sky, and he says, you know, when I consider the heavens and everything you made, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you even care about him or even visit him? And, and we were given the dignity of that responsibility, and we blew it. And it's never been right since. And uh, he, he says there that, you know, the problem is that was given to us, but we don't see everything subject to humankind. We forfeited some of that. That was, that was a problem. But we do see this. We see Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels. Here's the ultimate boss who created the angels. Here's the one before whom the angels fall and worship and praise. And, and here he is now, and he's made a little lower than the angels, in that they're spirit beings in the heavenly realm. And here he is relegating himself to, human, to humanity, to becoming one of us. And, and to living a, a, a very meager existence here. And, uh, but he, he came. And he tasted death for all of us. So that he could, for the future, restore in us the ability to rule the world as he wishes in the age to come. 
We'll rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And that started with him coming as a human to reclaim what we as humans forfeited when we sinned against God. It's incredible. Uh, the, the, huma- the, the, the humility of Jesus Christ, his suffering and his death. He tasted death for us, for what we messed up so he could redo it. Uh, when you listen to some of the, uh, the, the Christmas carols, some of them have a, a deep and a profound theology to them. Even thinking of something joy to the world. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow as far the curse is found. Let heaven and nature sing. God came to reinvest in us for our future, that we would be able to take care of the earth. We would be able to rule and reign with him. By his death, he regained for humanity the ability for us to rule and reign in the future. But to do that, he had to become one of us. He had to enter our realm. He had to take upon him human flesh and die. Spirits don't die. People die. And Jesus' pathway of humiliation to glory was laid out here. And so it is for us as well. That's his plan for his people. Well, why is it important? Secondly, because he makes us a part of his family by making us holy. He makes us a part of his family. Um, It says in verse uh, 10 to verse 13, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's what he was talking about, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, everything is God's, everything is about God, he does that so that he should make the pioneer of their salvation, the one who's going to blaze the, tra- the, the trail, the one who's going to bring us to glory. He was going to, um, to make their salvation perfect, the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Do you get that? Jesus was to be perfected through suffering. Wasn't Jesus perfect? Absolutely he was perfect. Well, what are we talking about here? It's the idea of complete. If he's going to be our substitute, if he's going to be the, uh, the, the apex, if he's going to be to mankind what mankind is supposed to be, then he's got to go through what we're going to have to go through. And it says he's going to, he's going to be perfected or he's going to be, uh, become totally uh, fulfilled through what he suffered. Why? Because we suffer. He comes and suffers as well. To make his people, but the one, excuse me, just back. Um, uh, and uh, the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. What he's going to do for us is he's going to make it so that we get into God's family, so that we're in the same family as God and as Jesus. Next, please. So Jesus is not ashamed, listen to this, he's not ashamed to call them, that's us, who believed, brothers and sisters. He says, I'll declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly, I'll sing your praises, and again, I'll put my trust in him, and again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. He says, I'm inviting them into the family of God, and he says something incredible here, he says, he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You know what? Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed of Jesus? 
You know, when somebody's being smart mouth at the office, they're making fun of Christians, they may be making fun of Jesus Christ. Are you ashamed to step forward and say something about your Lord? He's not ashamed to own you. He's not ashamed to call you brother and sister. And I want you to know something. We, are, we, we said how great Jesus is. I mean, he's the creator. He's God. He, he inherits the whole universe. Uh, he sustains everything. He rules everything. He is the absolute top. He's seated at the right hand of majesty. There he is beside God the Father in the place of preeminence and power and worship. And he says, you're my, you're my children. In fact, he says, you're my brothers and sisters. Do you get that? That never happens till after the resurrection. Jesus says to them, go tell my brothers that I go ahead of them. First time, the only time prior to that, the only time that that happens, and from then on, that he calls you a brother and a sister. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that we are heirs of God. Heirs of God? Us? Are you kidding me? And we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he came, because he loved us, because he became one of us, poured his life out, was perfected through suffering and everything that he went through, the things that we go through. He understands and knows. He's experienced that. And now he says, I invite you to come to me and I'll, bring, I'll, I'll blaze the trail and I'll bring many sons and daughters to glory. And here we are uh, with the privilege of being called a brother and a sister to Jesus Christ. And being co-heirs, joint heirs with him. Does that blow your mind? Folks, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And here's where we are today. And uh, I want to challenge you. We're having a baptismal service on January the 7th. It's an opportunity for you to declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ. To say, hey, I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, I know he's called me. When I've put my faith and my trust in him, he's called me now to make that public and say, hey, I'm with him. I want to encourage you. Don't be ashamed to claim him. He's willing to claim you and call you a brother and a sister. Let me say this also. I know we speak about God is everybody's father, but God's not everybody's father. In, in the, the sense that he created everything, uh, Jesus was having a, a discussion with the, with the religious leaders of his day, and they said, uh, Abraham is our father, and God is our father. And Jesus said, no wonder they didn't like him, the religious leaders. Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. This isn't your, you're not in my family. You don't understand that, that entrance into my family comes through receiving me, through putting your faith and trust in what I do. And I want to encourage you, if, you've never, if you're not a part of God's family, because you've never received his grace by putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you and say, I accept that and I believe that that's sufficient to pay for my sin and, and I I express my love and devotion to him in that way. 
but you're not automatically a part of God's family. He's willing to invite you into his family, and he's made provision through his death on the cross. And if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that. Well, what, again, what is the importance of Jesus being human? Well, thirdly, he destroys the power of death, uh, of devil, and the fear of death. He destroys the power of the devil and the fear of death. Uh, the greatest enemy we have as human beings is death. I mean, we all die. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a fact. Um, Satan's ultimate weapon against us is our death, our demise. And it is a, a most certain fact of life. And uh, here's, what, here's what is said in Hebrews 2 in the next couple of verses. Listen, since the children, remember? We're children. We're his children. Since the children have flesh and blood, that means we're human, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Here we got, we have a problem. The power of death over us. How are we going to do that? Well, well, he says, because the children have flesh and blood, he's going to become human too. He's going to destroy the work of the devil. He's going to undo what he did. He's going to give us victory in this whole area. See, that death is separation from God. And if you die separated from God, you will eternally be separated from God. And that's where, that's where the enemy of our souls is working to take us. And defeat the, to defeat this, to have victory over death, Jesus had to take upon himself humanity. He had to go through... Now get this. God, who created everything, is going to die as a human being. I can't, I can't totally fathom that. Like I can't, I can't fathom God, the creator, in the arms of, of a young woman who just gave birth to him. I, I, this is the mystery and wonder of Christmas. And, and uh, it says, he came to rescue us. He came, he came to defeat Satan and the power of Satan, to destroy that, the power of death. And he did that through his own death as a perfect and sinless person, human person. And being raised from the dead never to die again, conquering death. Oftentimes at a gravesite in a funeral, for a believer, stand around that casket before it's lowered. And read some of the words in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. And I think in the Apostle Paul's tone in that, he was indignant as he spoke these words. In light of what happens, in light of seeing people die, in light of standing as a family around the, the casket of a loved one that's being lowered into the ground and all of the pain and agony that that causes, Paul declares, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over death. 
He undoes what, what came upon us because of our sin. He destroys the power of the devil, and he destroys the fear of death. In my pastoral calling, I have countless times sat at the bedside of people who are on the verge of dying. I remember one particular case, sometimes even when I've been in, in the hospital, somebody sees and, and, and maybe carrying a Bible or something, and are, are you a minister? Or, uh, would you come and talk to someone? And I, there have been occasions when I've been invited uh, just from, from nobody I know to come in and speak to a person. But I remember one man, he, he was intubated. He knew he was dying and I saw in his, his eyes such fear and horror as he's looking desperately at me. And all I could do is share the gospel. He can't talk to me and, and, and hope that he opens his heart. There's a fear of death. It's a formidable foe that each one of us bear. And, and, and it can be a scary proposition. And there's no answer for it. You can't, you can't not die. And all of us are moving inexorably toward death. And people who can do all they can to stay alive and be fit and healthy and careful and, and, and concerned with safety, all of us will die. All of us will find uh, that, that we will experience that. And uh, when you sit on the side of a bed of a dear saint who is so... Uh, understanding of what God has for them. There's a kind of confidence. In fact, uh, there was a woman in, uh, in one of the churches I pastored, and uh, she was dying of cancer. She was in the hospital, and we had regular contact with her. And uh, uh, one, of our, one of our elders was going in to visit her, and he heard them in the, in, in the hall. And uh, she was so cool with uh, her life in Christ, and knowing where she was going uh, when they came in. This, this is how twisted. Uh, th- I like this person. She's twisted. Um, she pulled a thing up over her head and lay still when the people came in. And they were a little freaked out. And she pulled it down and smiled at them. She knew where she There was no fear. Um, this, this last summer, I had a friend of mine that I um, attended, uh, that we went through college together, I, I told you about my fearful time of my first preaching assignment. It was at a church where he had, had served before. And uh, he said, you want to go? i, I got to preach here. And, and this other church needs a preacher for this particular Sunday. And so we, we'd gone through a lot together through college and ministry and, and kids and all the rest of that. And uh, I was tracking with him. He, he had cancer. And uh, they weren't going to be able to get ahead of it. And um, uh, I was going to Kitchener's from Kitchener, and, and uh, I called him and said, look, I'm going to be around. Uh, I want to come and see you. And I was kind of surprised that when I got there, there was a hospital bed in the, uh, in the dining room. And uh, he said, he, as I sat down beside him, and he said, you know, Kev, he said, I'm not going to see you again. Uh, I'm going. I'm on my way out. But there was this calm peace. There was this... There was this sense of, of comfort and, and, and just being so um, okay 
with everything. Now, he, he, felt so, he had four children, so I mean, he's feeling really bad about that and for his wife. But his whole demeanor was, I, I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to be with the Lord. And we had time to reminisce and to laugh and to talk about serious things. And, and, but there was this comfort level that he had. There was no fear. There was no fear of death at all. And, and what a beautiful thing. Because Jesus took on flesh and blood. Because he fought the fight. Because he died. And because he had victory over death. And grants to us that. There's no fear. Now, I've, people have said to me, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't like the prospect of what might happen in dying. But, but I'm not afraid of dying. And, and my friends, because of Christmas, Christmas launched this. There's no fear of that. It was two weeks after that that we attended his funeral service. No fear. The importance of, the, of, of Jesus coming as a human being. He helps his people as a merciful high priest because he suffered and been tempted. Do you see how many times it talks about Jesus dying in this passage? It's incredible. But he says in verses 16 uh, uh, to 19, he said, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, people like us. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Why did he have to do that? He had to do that because he had to be made like his brothers and sisters, to be a merciful high priest and, and to make atonement for our sins. He had to do that to cover, to pay the penalty for our sins. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins will condemn, you'll be condemned for your sins. But he's willing to take that. He died for your sins. He took the punishment for your sins. He made a way that, that he might take care of and, and wipe out and blot out your sins. But he says also, that he would become a merciful and a faithful priest. It's interesting to me, in his humanity, he understands what it is to be hungry and thirsty and exhausted to the point of, of, of it can't even move. He knew what it was to grow and develop as a little boy into manhood. He knew what it was to, to work and take on a craft he knew what it was to be tempted, to feel the pain, to be mocked, to be betrayed, to be abandoned. And he even knows what it takes uh, to die, what it is to die. Uh, he, he's been through all that. So he's unable to understand what we go through as a high priest, as a leader, as, as one who forges the way. I listened to a, a Christian uh, speaker talking about an experience in his life. He'd never had much of any problem, and he, he was, found himself to be a little dismissive of people who had issues and problems. And, you know, he would try and encourage them, and, and you know, they need to 
They need to just pick up their bootstraps. They need to just trust God. They just need to move ahead. They just need to stop wallowing. in this. And then he was laid low. Anxiety. Severe anxiety. Chronic depression. Put him into a deep funk. He never looked at others that, way, the, that same way before. He, he saw and he understood uh, at, a, at a deeper level what it was for them. I mean, it's easy to be dismissive when you haven't experienced anything. I, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, had, a, had a, a kidney stone once, and he was telling me about it. I'm going, whoa, that must have been unpleasant. Then I had a kidney stone. <laughs> Somebody said it's worse than having a baby. I know, I just shot myself with, with that. But terrible pain. Now, when he says a kidney stone, I know what he means. Jesus came and took on flesh and blood. He experienced what we experience, yet he never sinned. And you say, well, I I need somebody who can really understand. He's merciful. He's a merciful high priest because he's gone through what you've gone through. What an absolutely beautiful thing. Jesus was made like us so he could understand what we go through so he could help us. He cares for you. He loves you. He he didn't have to do all that. He did that because of his love for you. And all this began at Christmas. When God became one of us and became human. And it is necessary. It's necessary to restoring our rulership over the earth. To making us holy and a part of God's family. It's necessary for destroying the power of the devil and death. And taking away the fear of death. And to be able to help us in our struggles. Because we have a high priest who's able to feel and understand. And all this because Jesus came at Christmas. As I said, there's some rich, uh, there's some rich theology in some of the songs we sing. But in Hark the Herald Angels, we read in one verse... Veiled in flesh, that's becoming a human. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Looking into that manger and seeing that baby, that is God. That little baby is God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, the God come in the flesh. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, Jesus, our God with us. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. It began at Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that Jesus Christ left everything that he had, all of the glory and splendor of heaven, that he might become one of us, that he might... He might give his life for us and taste our suffering and be uh, an incredibly wonderful and merciful high priest, such so that that, that a a broken, bruised reed he wouldn't break and a smoldering wick he wouldn't extinguish. He's gentle and caring and loving, and he extends his love to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us, help us to respond to that love. Help us to, to, to hail him as our king, to bow before him, to surrender our lives before him, to own him 
before the world who owned us as brothers and sisters and wasn't ashamed to call us that. We pray, Father, that you would help us. If, for those who perhaps have never opened their heart to Jesus Christ and don't realize what he's done for them, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts, that they may put their faith and trust in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.